0: Welcome to Tips & Trips, your podcast guide to travel tips on the fly. I'm your host, Abby Zartman, and each episode I sit down and talk with experts, local guides, or travel enthusiasts, answering all of your travel questions along the way. On today's episode, I'm joined by Susan Roberts, the Executive Director for the Rhode Island chapter of the American Red Cross. We sit down to talk about hurricane preparedness, her deployment to Hurricane Harvey, and we talk about how empathy can help with relief work. This is part one of our conversation, so make sure you subscribe so that way you can listen and follow along with part two. Welcome back to Tips and Trips. This is your host, Abby Zartman, and I'm really excited to be sitting here today because I am going to be chatting with the Executive Director for the Rhode Island chapter of the American Red Cross, Susan Roberts. Thank you so much for being here today, Susan.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: I'm really excited to learn more about your background and what you do with the Red Cross and um, hear about your experience with different deployments and how you've learned how to be prepared through all of that experience.
1: Oh, great. Thank you.
0: Before we start, do you mind telling us a little bit about what you do with the Red
1: Cross and your background? Okay. So I'm the executive director, as you said. So as the CEO, I handle all statewide decisions making for the Red Cross. I am the face of the Red Cross. I interview and I am the first person that the state will call if there's an issue with disasters or local fires or any immediate needs that may happen. We work with the VA. I serve on many statewide boards, the Rhode Island Emergency Managers Association, Providence Emergency Managers Association, on VOAD. It's Volunteer organizations active in disaster. And as I said, I'm also a deputy at the VA representing the Red Cross. So it's a big undertaking. And what you may not know is that we are 90% volunteer led. So our workforce is volunteers. So when I first came in, they were saying, you know, you're gonna be working with a volunteer workforce, and they mean it. They they deploy, they go out on fire calls in the middle of the night, and they're always there with us 24-7.
0: Oh wow! I didn't realize that it was ninety percent a volunteer workforce. Is that just in Rhode Island, or for the Red Cross across the board? That's
1: nationwide, um. uh, and it was interesting to me because my my first day at work, as I said, so do I need to stay here until the volunteers leave to lock the building? They said no, they do that. <laughs> the volunteers drive the vehicles. The volunteers lead things. They really, they really are the heart of the Red Cross. It's amazing uh, the workforce that we have. Yeah, that
0: that's insane to see so many dedicated people for the cause that the American Red Cross does. Um, so in addition to the statewide and Rhode Island impact that you have, you also have a national reach because it's a national organization. Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so at the national level, um, we do multiple things. Um, We work very closely with FEMA. Um, I'm sure you've heard of FEMA. Um, And uh, we work with other really high-level key state partners and nationwide partners so that we can deploy uh, very methodically and uh, very preemptively in the event that there is any kind of a disaster, either local or statewide, and sometimes internationally, um, we're called upon to assist. What most people don't know is that the Red Cross doesn't respond on, on big disasters unless we're asked to do so. So a state has to ask us to come in. They have to ask for additional assistance. They have to ask for us to come into their communities, and we'll do that. Um, and we do that every, every single day, 24-7. It's an amazing organization. I, I love what we do. Uh, we respond to disasters every eight minutes. What is the process for a state to reach out to the Red Cross for assistance? Um, So they'll have a disaster, depending on what level the disaster is, and they'll realize we can't handle this by ourselves. We need assistance. So they'll contact um, the state emergency operations centers, typically, um, because we have close uh, working relationships with them. Um, And in fact, we work with them to write up the statewide plans for emergency response. Uh, They'll reach out to them, and then we will deploy our workforce nationwide. We will deploy our assets, um, and our assets can be everything from moving moving cots from, let's say, for instance, from New England all the way down to Texas. If they need additional cots or if they need um, blankets or if they need our emergency response vehicles, we will send our workforce down to drive those vehicles down in places of need. And it's really incredible because we have something called RC View, which is a mapping system. We can see exactly where those storms are coming in, where we're tracking, where our assets are going, and how we can help people that are most in need to make sure that we're not spread out so thin and that we're going to one disaster relief operations at at a time. So you're providing the
0: most coverage for people by tracking and being prepared um, and
1: preemptively planning for people who may be reaching out? We do. So uh, one of the things that happen is, is that we will track those systems that are coming up. Emergency Operations Center will track those, and they will request in advance uh, for us pre fall, fall to be there and be prepared and bring in all kinds of uh, emergency equipment so that there are uh, prepared. They'll have evacuation centers that are set up. And evacuation centers are different than what a shelter is. Evacuation center simply gets you in, keeps you safe during an immediate storm. And then thereafter, there could be sheltering that could could happen. At that point in time, we'll set up shelters, huge shelters, to see what the need is, bring people in that may be displaced from flooding or fire or whatever the the incident may be. But it's a huge undertaking to do that.
0: Yeah, I, I can imagine, especially when it's a huge undertaking that is the result of a natural disaster like a major hurricane. I know way back in 2017 when you were first with the Red Cross, Hurricane Harvey hit. And that was the first major hurricane to make landfall in over 12 years. And that was your first deployment with the Red Cross, correct? That was my very first. <laughs> go big or go home. Yeah, exactly. You got to just dive right in. And how long had you been with the Red Cross?
1: Uh, just a matter of months. Oh, boy. Um, and it was, it was um – Very exciting to get called upon to deploy. So uh, I was really excited about it, um, and I was told that I was going to be flown into Houston, and then I would be airlifted in by the National Guard into the place of need. Um, And that changed very quickly because, as we know, when you're dealing with disasters, things happen and they change. The 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 wind changes, the climate changes, a dam may burst. So there's all kinds of things that may happen in, in a matter of moments. You need to be prepared and know what to do and be um, adaptable to what's happening because Things can happen very quickly, and and it changes, and that's exactly what happened. And I got to tell you, frankly, I wasn't happy about being airlifted in, so that was great to hear that I didn't have to get airlifted out. (laughs) You got to
0: avoid the heights and dealing with that, dropping in. Uh, That must have been uh, terrifying facing that. But so obviously, if you've only been with the Red Cross for a few months prior to your deployment, you had to have had some other personal way to prepare for this what let like how did you get into the mindset to be able to go down and help with the hurricane harvey relief
1: so i've always been a humanitarian at heart Mm -hmm. i love helping people um anything that i can do to put myself in their position i think helps me to prepare to figure out what they may need. So I tr- really try to put myself in that mindset. How would I feel if it were me and I had to leave my home and leave everything? What would I need if I needed to get out very quickly? Those kinds of things. And who would I want to reach out to? And and so you just kind of put yourself in those places. Um, I'm a former lobbyist by trade. Um, and did that for many, many years. So I, I learned lots about negotiations and lots about talking to people and listening and and trying to make sure that we're all working together to get to the right answer for the right reasons. And so I, I realized very quickly once I arrived down in Texas that it was about relationships it's about relationship building, getting them to trust me. They didn't know me. You know, I'm coming from New England. I'm going into Texas, and I'm walking into their operations center and, and representing the Red Cross, and they've never met me. And we have to remember, not only are their state response folks and they're working, but they've also been impacted, and their families have been impacted. And so they're dealing with emotional issues on the side, too. They handle it well, and they're trained to do that. But... Um, they're also handling that, and you just need to keep that in back back of your mind. Yeah, it's a deeply personal
0: situation for everyone involved, and I'm sure that also as an empathetic person, you're there and you can feel that. Were there any particular stories, any people that you met that really left a mark on you and um, change your perspective on on the whole situation?
1: Yeah, there were several. It's it's interesting being at in the studio. You see, um, you don't really meet folks one on one, client wise. But I did get the opportunity to do that, going out to the shelter's um, we, we had folks that had already, they were into week two of being away from their homes. So think about that. You're away from your home. You don't have the things around you that you typically do to make you feel very comfortable. And some of the things that would make you feel like you would want to be normal again would be things like um, setting up a laptop and being able to get on your laptop to tell other people, you know, I'm here, I'm okay, we're okay. Um, or maybe reaching out to them to see if there's a place that they could stay with them those kinds of things. So we did. We worked at the the State C to make sure that we had things in place where laptops could be brought in. There could be um, free use of Wi-Fi. We could have uh, phones available for for people to call out. I even worked with a lady who had called me, uh, and she wanted to set up—she wanted to bring in food into the shelters. And we're not allowed to do that because we have to—because of safety issues. We don't know how it's been handled. We don't know if the person handling it is licensed and certified, and it's for the safety of the people. We don't allow food to be brought in. And she was really upset with me about that. And and I let her talk to me. She Actually, she was raised her voice, and I— she yelled at me for about an hour over the phone, and I kept saying, we want to we want to get to yes on this. What we can what can we do together to do something? This isn't the thing that we can do, but what can we do? And I you know I feel your passion. And she and i she hung up on me, And the next day she called me and apologized. And she said, "You're absolutely right. And I was wrong. You know, my emotions got in the way let's do something together. And we did. We ended up calling on barbers and um, hair hair um, stylists and all kinds of folks that could come in. We set up tents and we set up barber chairs and, and styling chairs. And we had people in the shelter come out and get their hair styled and done. And They loved it. We set up another tent, and we had a DJ come out, and we had music playing and people just having a good time, and and we had snacks and treats and things like that. Just a little bit of normalcy because they they were stuck there in that shelter, and it's not a fun thing to be stuck in a shelter.
0: No, you're completely ripped away from your personal environment, and you're going through dealing with this disaster, and you have to... Sometimes you just need to be heard that this kind of stinks, and I need to just vent that. And so being able to feel comfortable and just fun for a little bit is,
1: is must be a huge relief for these people. They did have fun, and it was really good. And it's really interesting because now she stays in contact with me. And um, I see her on Facebook, and we'll respond back and forth to one another. And, and when I first spoke to her, I didn't think that was going to happen at first, but we, we worked really hard to get to yes for the right reasons. And that's what happens. And you developed this lasting relationship as a result.
0: That's great. So on that note, are there things that people can do to help when things like a hurricane hit or other natural disasters and major storms? People do want to feel that call to action to do good and to help other people, but sometimes people don't know how to do that. What advice do you have for those kind of individuals?
1: Yeah, so there's several different things that they can do. Um, You can always volunteer. Um, We're always looking for volunteers. Uh, We have our volunteers are very well trained in advance, but there are volunteers that we can use the day of. They're called event-based volunteers. We'll bring them in and put them in um, situations where it's not something that they really have to be trained and ready for. It's something very simple, like they can help register people, things like that. Um, Get involved. Um, Get involved in the long term for long-term recovery. Um, long after everybody leaves, those those um, situations where there's a disaster, there are people that are still trying to recover, and so be involved in that, be a part of that. You can also donate. Donate is donations are really great. If you donate to the Red Cross, um, we make sure that it goes directly to. Where you want it to go to. If you if you designate it that it goes to Harvey, that's where it's going to go to. It's going to go to Harvey. Um, so it's always a, a good thing to just to get involved. If you if you can't get involved, uh, tell other people to get involved. You know, there are some people that just they're unable to do things, but um, listen and help any way you can. Yeah, and I think a lot of people underestimate their
0: own personal platform, whether it's on social media or just their own personal human network, having the voice to say, hey, this is a humanitarian crisis going on and these are the resources. And even if I can't donate the $10 right now, I know I have a network of friends that I can reach out to and talk to about this and
1: educate them. Yeah, that's great. Um, One of my friends, my colleagues, when I first started, he came in and handed me a red cross blanket. And he said, I want you to fill this Red Cross blanket. And everybody's seen the blankets. They have the Red Cross logo on there, and and that's what we provide comfort when we first go into disasters, and we wrap people in those blankets. And um, he handed that to me and said, fill that blanket. And I did. And he said, feels like just like any other blanket, right? And I said, yeah, it does. It's very comforting. And he said, that blanket, the cost of that blanket is $10. And he said, and that's not much money, is it, to comfort somebody? It means so much. He said, this very blanket I keep in my office was wrapped around the parents at Sandy Hook because we also respond to those incidents as well. And and I'll never forget that. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. That blanket at that time meant even more to me. I'm like, oh. Yeah, nice, really nice. But for $10, then you're wrapping comfort and love around somebody at a time, you know, of despair.
0: And $10 seems like such a small amount. You don't know that $10 can go so far. That's the security and comfort that that can provide parents is huge. And Mm. not just parents, but anyone who's impacted.
1: Just anybody. So um, it's good. And that's what the Red Cross does best. We go in and provide comfort first.
0: That, that's important. People need to feel that, especially when you're trying to get your grounding after something has happened. So so devastating. So working backwards a little bit, I know you mentioned that at the Red Cross, you do some tracking. So when there are storm systems coming down, um, you guys are getting prepared. Do you do any proactive outreach to potential volunteers to kind of try and mobilize them to get them prepared for, hey, this is on our radar. We might need people for this. Or what are the preemptive
1: steps that the Red Cross takes. Yeah, we constantly do. We have um, ongoing training, um, and it's very intense. And our volunteers, they love the training. Um, they'll come in. If somebody says, oh, you know, I'm really interested in sheltering, maybe I can be a sheltering manager. What would that entail? And we actually have tracking. We have classes that they can take, and they'll they'll go through all of the classes, and they have to be certified in order to then deploy. Um, And if you come in as a volunteer, um, we do background checks on you. Um, There are all kinds of things that we train you upon. Um, We have um, also other trainings for different things. Somebody may want to be an emergency response vehicle driver. Um, We'll train them. They have to go through a driving test. Um, There's all kinds of things that we do. Um, And in advance of um, any kind of a situation, we'll go in pre-landfall and get people prepared And um, our assets are always moving around to make sure that they're ready to go.
0: And then on the flip side, what do you guys do to help with recovery in the long term? So can the state, if they've been dealing with the aftermath of some disaster, still reach out to the Red Cross for assistance?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, We're constantly convening groups and leaning in to make sure that um, people are taken care of. A perfect example is Puerto Rico. Um, Here in the United States, we hadn't been impacted with uh, Puerto Rican evacuees yet. And at the time, while our folks were responding to Puerto Rico here in Rhode Island, I was saying, let's convene a group. Let's get our partners together and start talking about what happens when folks from Puerto Rico start to land here in Rhode Island and how will we assist them? So we put a group of folks, good group of folks together and talked about, what if we have um, students who are from Puerto Rico and need to come here? Can we help them with their university needs? Brown University did that. They stepped up and actually um, took students in. And those, those students from Puerto Rico were able to finish up their education here since they were unable to do it at home. There were other things. We helped with housing and with medicine and with glasses. It was just a great group of partners to pull together and make sure that they were taken care of. That's amazing. How do you build those partnerships with like, with Brown, for
0: example? How do you get these organizations and universities involved in these efforts? So it's
1: ongoing, um, and everything's about partnerships and relationships. Um, uh, when I leave here, I'm going to a meeting. It's the Rhode Island, it's the Volunteers Active in Disaster Meeting, VOAD, and the, many of those partners are at that table. And if they're not at that table at the time, we'll call on them to be a part of that discussion because we want to have. Uh, proactive discussion about in the event something were to happen, this is what the expectations from the Red Cross can be. This is what you can get from us. What can we get from you? What can we get from you and you and you? So that everybody at the table knows what gaps we have missing, and then we'll go out and search for that partner to come in and say, now I think we're we're full you know we've got we've got a full plate we can take care of everyone so you're you're making sure that you have a full
0: arsenal being able to go and step up to anything that that may happen that's right you've been listening to tips and trips with me your host abby zartman my guest this week was susan roberts make sure you tune in next week so that you can listen to part two of our conversation you'll find links to the references we discussed in this week's episode description on whatever device you listen to the show on if you enjoyed this week's episode, please subscribe and invite a friend to travel along with us. Special thanks to Insure My Trip for sponsoring the podcast, Julie Lafredi for production assistance, Brittany Janais for creating our logo. This episode was recorded in Warwick, Rhode Island, at Star Trek Studios. <laughs> Tips and Trips is supported by Ensure My Trip, the better way to buy your travel insurance. Backed by their best plan and best price guarantee, you can compare benefits, get quotes, read fellow traveler reviews, and buy your policy all in one place. Go to insuremytrip.com to get your free quote today.